Welcome back to episode two in our perinatal mental health series. Today, we are talking all about busting through the perfect mother myth and preparing yourself for the postpartum period. Enjoy. Hey, mama, I'm sending you wonderful pregnancy vibes. It's time for you to guide you through. Let's take some time for you. It's pregnancy with Hello, mamas, and welcome back to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast. We are hitting episode two in our four-part perinatal mental health series today. So if you haven't already, go back and check out episode one when you can. That is all about postnatal depression, and I interview Namita, who talks us through her entire journey and what helped her. But today, we're talking to Gemma. Now, Gemma Smith, you can find her on Instagram at together.perinatal, and we are talking all about busting through the perfect mother myth, which we'll explain soon, and all about preparing yourself for good postpartum support and setting yourself up for good mental health after your baby comes. Now, own transition to motherhood where it totally kicked her butt. She's been on a mission to make sure nobody else feels lost or alone during the often polarizing perinatal season. So Gemma blends humor, academic theory, professional and lived experience to ensure a well-rounded and down-to-earth approach to her one-on-one perinatal counseling sessions. And she also has a podcast called Postpartum Like a Boss. So definitely go and check that out. So in today's episode with Gemma, we discuss Gemma's own story from how she was this type A perfectionist, overachieving person and how she transitioned to motherhood and the challenges that she faced. We talk about navigating pregnancy and motherhood when you're not enjoying it and the emotions that may come up because of that, the guilt, the shame, things like that. We talk about the perfect mother myth and how this comparisonitis and this expectation of what motherhood is going to be can really set us up to fail in so many ways because our reality doesn't always match that. We talk about acknowledging what your mothering values are and ignoring what society is telling you they should be to dropping all the shoulds. We also talk about your best tips to prepare yourself for postpartum and we talk about the importance of connection and community for mental health. So This is Gemma's bread and butter. She talks about these topics as a perinatal counselor all of the time. And I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. As always, please jump on over to at Physio Laura and let me know what you got out of this episode. I want to know what your best tips were to prepare yourself for postpartum. Let's share with everyone so that people can read in the comments and see what they did to set themselves up for support afterwards. Because I think there's so much you can do during pregnancy to just bolster some support, community help for the postpartum period. Because whether you're worried about having a mental health condition or not, I think everybody needs support afterwards. And we also don't want to wait until we get sick. We want to be able to bolster this support and stay thriving rather than having to dip into sickness before we then ask for help. So I just think preparing yourself for postpartum is one of the most valuable things you can do. So I really hope you love this episode, guys. Like I said, come on over to at PhysioLaura and tell me what you got out of it. But without further ado, let's jump in and work out how we can prepare ourselves like a boss for the postpartum period. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Gemma. It is so awesome to have you here. I put a call out on Instagram for 
who are the best people I need to interview in the perinatal mental health space? And your name came up multiple times, which I'm very excited about because I love everything you're about, your podcast, your Instagram. There's such a wealth of knowledge there. And I think you share all the bits of motherhood that we need to speak about, but we probably don't talk enough about. So thank you for joining us. No worries. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really glad to be here. Now, I think your story resonates with a lot of my audience. I definitely resonated with myself when I read it. I was like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So I'd love for you to take us through who Gemma was pre-having children. You've got two of your own children now, four and two. So you're in the thick of it still, but I want to know who were you before you had kids and how did that journey of matrescence and journeying into motherhood change you and what prompted you to do the work that you do these days? Yeah, something that I really am about is storytelling because I feel like people really we're all about stories. Everything that we do is about our stories. So for me, I was the story that I had before children was that I was like a super A-type personality, overachiever at literally anything that I could get my hands on. So I was working in HR at the time, like winning national awards and I was doing triathlon training and I was like out with my friends a lot and just generally, oh, and studying. I was doing my master's at the time. (laughs) Just add that in there. But I was really pushing myself to the extreme. Like I definitely had, I guess I was just really motivated by that kind of anxiety feeling, but it just seemed so normal because that's what the world kind of necessitates from us in in the way that it's set up it's that sets you up to be like okay well we're just going to push through so I yeah on the outside it looked really good and everybody always said like oh my god Gemma how do you do all these things and that's like drugs for me at the time like yeah man how do I do all these things (laughs) but I loved it you know I just loved being that person who somehow could do all the things and then I got pregnant, which was very intentional. I'd just finished my Masters of Social Work. I was overseas doing volunteering at the Cape Town Refugee Centre in South Africa. And then when we got home, I was like, cool, all right, this is the time. You know, I'd put it off for a little while. Like we got married and then I was like, oh, I want to finish my degree, blah, blah, blah. And then, yes, we got pregnant and I immediately was very grateful but also really 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 overwhelmed because the story that I'd heard about motherhood growing up from people that I knew was that it will change you forever you're not going to have freedom your life might not be about you anymore and I just found that really really hard and I'm also really sick so from the get-go I physically felt motherhood taking from me yeah and that just like really spiraled me into a pretty pretty hard place so I did actually end up calling the panda support line so I don't know if people know about that but it's a perinatal um, anxiety and depression Australia support line and just basically just like crying and being like oh my god what have I done and was this in your postpartum period or was this during your pregnancy this, this was my pregnancy. Oh, wow. Okay. Pregnancy. So you already had all of those fears and anxieties already coming up. Yeah. And so what did you do yeah. to work through that during your pregnancy? 
So the support line was really helpful. I also had like quite a lot of good support from friends who, some friends who'd been through it before, who really kind of took me under their wing, especially one of my manager at work who had known me through this process. But then I had reached out to go to like a perinatal psychologist during that time. So I was already a social worker and I, you know, I have the ability to kind of assess myself and I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely not, I'm not doing well here. Um, So I wanted that extra support, but I actually found in this process, it was so hard to find one time because you've got a thousand appointments in pregnancy, then to add on having to get a mental health care plan and all these other things. And then the wait lists for psychologists are like months long. So you're you usually, most people are asking for help when they're already at kind of the edge. Mm. Then you wait for three months. And then I got in and I really didn't like the lady. <laughs> she just like, it was, a, there was a lot of forms. It was super clinical. She didn't really take the time to know me personally. And when I'd come back, she wouldn't have remembered what we talked about. Mm. And it's the simple things like that during that process and actually my experience with her was one of the things that made me be like I want to provide this type of service Mm. in a way that is like accessible for people where people are remembered and taken seriously as people yeah because the step to even acknowledge you need help I imagine is quite a big step for a lot of people so you really want to be nourished once you get to that point because you felt I imagine quite vulnerable in even just putting a hand up to say, I need help right now. Did you find it difficult to ask for help? Like, was there any feelings coming up for you around, you said it was an intentional pregnancy. So you obviously wanted to be pregnant. You wanted this baby, but at the same time, you know, you had all these fears and anxieties. And was that quite difficult for you to navigate those polarizing emotions and then putting your hand up to ask for help? Or did you find that relatively okay for you? I guess for me, throughout my whole life, I have always had interactions with mental health support people. As a teenager, I had quite a lot. And that was part of the reason actually why I studied social work in the first place, because there was one particular counsellor and youth worker who really kind of changed my life when I was young. Mm. So I don't find it hard necessarily asking for help in that way and seeking support in that way. I've always found that to be something that I think everybody should actually have, like, on a regular basis, just regular check-ins to debrief about what's going on for them. But motherhood is a particularly interesting version of this because that whole overarching thing of this is supposed to be joyful. And perhaps for the first time in many people's lives, they feel bad about something that is supposed to be making them feel good. Mm. (laughs) And it's very confusing. And also I feel like often it's met with a lot of kind of guilt from mothers especially I know uh, many women who are on uh, very rough fertility journeys as well and then if they're pregnant and perhaps sick or things are just they have still quite a lot of anxiety about the pregnancy there's so much guilt about like why can't I just enjoy this or you know why isn't this good for me so there's definitely elements of that And I think that was another reason why I'm like, oh, I just need to figure out a way that I can provide some sort of support for people to know that this is not 
an individual thing. Like this isn't them being a terrible person because that's how they feel. It really is like a societal thing. Absolutely. And I think the ability well, knowing, first of all, that it's okay to hold two opposite thoughts, I think is really empowering for women. So you can want this baby so badly. And like you said, I think it's compounded when you've been on your own fertility struggles, IVF journey, whatever it is to get there, you know, it was a big journey and all you've ever wanted is is this baby. And at the same time, you can really dislike being pregnant. You can really not enjoy being pregnant and that's okay. You know, like you can take the shame and the guilt away from that. But I think we need to talk about it first to allow women to hear these conversations so that they can go, ah, A, I'm not alone and B, it's okay. I'm allowed. I'm not a bad person. I can have both of these thoughts. I can want this baby so badly and love this baby, but also not want to be pregnant. That's okay. So talk to me about where was your mindset at by the time you got to birth? Were you in a better headspace? Were you feeling more confident about your transition into motherhood? Yes, I was feeling kind of okay with it. I'd had um, some of the sessions and also, as everybody knows, it's not something that's going to stop even if I wasn't feeling okay. So I was like, all right, well, you know, I've got to embrace this whole thing. And I ended up getting a birth doula for some extra support around the birth. There are lots of things I would have changed slash did change in my second experience just based on the birth support that I had but I was feeling okay by the time birth came around okay. so and then what did your early postpartum hood look like for someone who is type a high achieving loves a to-do list likes to be productive anyone that's a mother knows that that's a really hard transition into motherhood where it's unpredictable. You need to be able to surrender and go with the flow and productivity might look like having a shower and that's all. And that might be all that you quote unquote achieve in a day. It can be a really big turn of events for a lot of women who are like that. So can you talk us through how did you feel in those early days and what were the emotions coming up for you and how did you navigate that period of matrescence? Basically, it just, I did a post about this yesterday on Instagram, but the whole thing just totally kicked my ass. Like from literally my waters broke and I had, was, you know, going into labor. And then even during that whole process, which for me was quite fast, it was like this whole thing of like, oh my God, it was just such a like walking through the fire for me type moment. The complete lack of control, like we talked about, that's a huge thing for a lot of women who quote-unquote successful like really have a lot of control over what they do or perceived control um, anyway <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and there's elements that we yeah can't can control so yeah the whole thing my son came out and he well I yeah even in my birth that kind of didn't go the way that I had expected at all so already I was like reeling from that and then my first son was just like so screaming mm. and super unsettled mm. even in the hospital like some of the staff were saying like we can't keep him in his swaddle like we can't keep him like they were kind of seemed concerned and I was thinking like mate if you don't know what you're doing then I'm really stuffed because like I haven't changed the nappy before or anything you know so yeah the whole thing was just I found it incredibly hard I was sleeping like less than five hours in a 24-hour period for about four months because he was like a really colicky baby. Mm. And that just like broke me as a person. It was just so 
hard to have no control over when I got to rest. Mm. I mean, there there were elements that I could decide and I'll probably talk a bit more about that when we talk about, you know, things you can do to make things easier. But yeah, the whole thing just I know, yeah, then there's breastfeeding was tricky at the beginning. All the things were just like really hard. And I found that despite loving him, it was kind of like, is this motherhood? Like that was my thought. It's like, if this is what I have to do, then, I mean, I know I can't unsubscribe, but it like not, this is not great. Like, I just don't know if I'm cut out for this. And it's something that I'm really, I really love to make sure that people know that it's a super common thought in the early weeks of parenthood to really be like, I think I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it's such a yeah, rough but- transition. Did you find, because an interesting point you made is you said, am I cut out for this? And I do think that that is a very common narrative playing in women's heads of, am I a good enough mother? Or am I cut out to do this? Like, maybe I'm not maternal enough. And I know that can really easily lead to comparison to other mothers who look like they love motherhood and they have their S together. And, you know, like they just, you know, so joyful all the time. And motherhood is just the place that they were born to be in. And that can be really rough if you're having a different experience of motherhood. So did you find yourself doing those comparisons? Because I think this might be a good segue into talking about the perfect mother myth and how we probably need to just block out that outside noise and focus internally so that we can authentically mother. I'd love for you to speak to your personal experience with that and then talk more broadly about this perfect mother myth. Yeah, so definitely I think for me, I didn't really have, I was the first of my friends to have a baby, like one of the first. So I didn't have a whole lot to compare it to in that way. It was probably more when I started my mother's group, um, when I had more people to compare to, I definitely had felt prior to that, that something seemed wrong. Like this couldn't possibly be like, I just, you know, like that imposter syndrome where it's like, I know that I'm here and I have a baby and people are looking at me like, oh, she's mum. But I had no idea what I was doing and I kind of felt like people might be able to sense that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they could see through. <laughs> They could see that like I really had no idea what I was doing. But yeah, when I went to the mothers group, it was such an interesting experience to hear about, we had 16 of us, or we still have um, a lot of us in our group, but it was really interesting to hear everybody's experiences because people had such different experiences. And I definitely felt, for lack of a better term, like a huge amount of jealousy for people who did seem to be enjoying it and who it seemed to come very naturally to I just felt like oh I wish that that was I do wish that that was my story but anyway here I am type thing but going into the perfect mother miss and something that is just so important so we were talking a bit before we started recording but Dr Sophie Brock she's a wonderful sociologist in the motherhood space and she has a concept called the perfect mother myth And basically it talks about the stories that we have of what a perfect mother looks like. And these are often really unconscious. So I think this is really important for people because guilt doesn't come from nowhere, you know. We're not having these thoughts 
in we're having them because we're within a social environment that has kind of told us what a perfect mother looks like. So she talks about the fact that from that standpoint, a perfect mother is often like, you know, white, middle class, with 2.5 kids because you can't have too many and you can't have one. And obviously this is not what I think, but this is what the world is kind of telling us. And that that person is really like present and enjoys motherhood all the time and is joyful and it's all effortless. And all of these things really lead us to believe that when we are humans as mothers, and that we actually really do struggle when we're sleep deprived and we don't love every moment and we are angry often that we're doing something wrong and that we, we feel guilty about that. And I think within this, it's super important for people to understand that there are motherhood is one thing and then mothering is another thing. So I think something that people find really tricky is that they don't enjoy many elements of like the day-to-day mothering task yes. the doing work because it let's be honest a lot of it sucks can I just talk you through this is just like a prime example my kids are four and a half three and 16 months right now and I had a moment the other night where I silly me I had my daughter out of a nappy in the high chair because I was like I'm just about to have a shower anyway so she tips her whole high chair upside down like all the contents of dinner and then she wheezes all over the floor in her high chair. So I'm on my hands and knees, like trying to mop up this combination of wee and food. It's pretty gross. And then my oldest child knocked his cup over. So then there was water everywhere. And as I was like lunging to go get the water, I stepped on a sausage. And I was just like, what is my life? What is my life? <laughs> and I just thought that was just such like a five to 10 second highlight reel of like the things I don't enjoy about mothering sometimes (laughs) and that are like super natural not to enjoy (laughs) nobody nobody actually wants to be wiping up wee food flipping on food and with more being added to that at the same time and I yeah totally often think of like these those few seconds of your life now and then as a parent that you're like you know this is just not this is not fun yeah yeah this is not good yeah. <laughs> I, I don't enjoy sign it. up enjoy this <laughs> <laughs> exactly right and the really important thing is lots of people keep putting if I say I don't like mothering mm-hmm. I'm saying I don't love my children which has like that, those two things are not they're not relevant yeah. together mothering as a thing you have to do often really sucks and is really hard Mm. but being a mother is something that you know you can still love your children and not love mothering and you can still love your children and actually kind of be perplexed by motherhood and everything that brings with the perfect motherness and the fact that we're kind of really expected to be able to juggle work and looking after kids and all of these things that are incredibly dif- difficult and also often polarizing in terms of what we expect from people we were talking before about productivity and productivity in a normal sense is so different it's like that striving thing it's getting stuff done it's the to-do list like we talked about and then in motherhood it's none of that 
you might not get anything done, but yet you've worked harder than you ever have in your entire life. It's kind of the most unseen job in the world, which I think really adds from a mental health perspective, a very tricky situation, especially for people with A-type personalities from before, where you're used to getting feedback, accolades, just any form of, you know, anything. I often joke about, you know, um, I would have got more accolades for, you know, keeping my dining room table clean because it's something that people can see than keeping my kids alive and really pushing myself to do that. Something to be aware of, I guess. That's so true. It's the unseen work, isn't it? Like I think about, I'm in a real season at the moment where I feel like holding space for my kids' emotions and feelings. And that's feels like big work for me right now and I often think like that is just so invisible that work like I see it and I see the the fruits of my labor but yeah from the outside your house might be trash you might not have dinner ready whatever it is but you're like but I've really nurtured my kids feelings today but I could never write that on a to-do list I could never (laughs) show you oh look what I've done today because it's not tangible and so much of mothering mothering yes is intangible and I just think that's really cool and as you were speaking about the perfect mother myth I was just thinking about where that showed up in my life so I had a couple of points I just wanted to riff on there I found for me not having a clean or tidy house to be something I really judged myself for. And I felt like it meant I wasn't put together or I wasn't coping or yeah, like I was overwhelmed and I made it mean something. I kind of zoomed out from that and I went, oh, that's really interesting that that's a story I have in my head and that I've linked house is messy to that must mean people perceive me as X, Y, and Z. And it's really interesting for me to acknowledge that because then I went, oh, well, that's not serving me clearly. That's actually just adding to my stress. Also, whenever I go to someone else's house, I actually don't ever notice if their house is messy or not. I actually just notice whether like they greet me with a smile or, you know, like they're really present with me or whatever it is. But I, I actually don't take notice myself. So why am I assuming people are taking notice when they come to visit me? So I really let go of that and I acknowledge the bits in my house that are really important to me because they do make me feel more comfortable. I got a RoboVac because seeing sand all over my floor, I live near the beach, like that does genuinely drive me bonkers. But if there's toys everywhere and all of that, I'm like, oh, I'm fine with that. And I actually not judging myself anymore if my house is messy because I look at it now and go, it's lived in. My kids live here. I'm not pretending like I don't have children that live in my house. It's okay to have this. So that was a really good mother myth that I kind of dispelled, I guess. And I remember you talking with Sophie on your podcast about this and she was talking about Because it's not about letting go of everything because we obviously all have our own unique values and what is important to us. And so it's not about just throwing it all up in the air and saying, I don't care about anything anymore. So for me, I do care about feeding my kids really healthy food, for example. And so I will like go out of my way to make sure that what they eat is really nutritious and fulfilling (laughs) from a spiritual level. Fulfilling. (laughs) Their tummy's not fulfilling. (laughs) Fulfilling. Um, Yeah, so that's really important to me. You know, like if I'm going to drop a ball, I'm not going to drop the food ball often. Sometimes, don't get me wrong, my kids have chips and whatnot. But for the most part, I don't drop the food ball because that's really important to me. But the house ball, for example, or the mess ball, like totally happy to drop that because there's not a huge value of mine. And so I remember listening to that conversation and really thinking that's an important 
task for women to take on to go, what is it that I actually do value? Not what I'm being told I should value, not what society says I should do or be like. What do I actually value? And then really sitting with that. And then you can go all in on the things that you actually value and then let go of all the other stuff that doesn't actually matter to you. So I'm curious to know where in your journey did you find yourself comparing to the perfect mother and maybe what have you worked on to let go of that you've realized is not actually important to you that was just a big should that you felt like you needed to live up to I think a really important thing to acknowledge is when this is great the fact that we're talking about it but I didn't have the vocabulary for any of this when I was going through it the first time Mm. so I just felt very confused because I knew inherently that these things were true, that I was still a good person, even though such and such was happening. I love Dr. Sophie's thing too. She always talks about housework is not mothering and breaking those two things apart. But I guess it was just further through my journey as things come up. I often talk about motherhood being like a process when we're learning it. I think we're really I think from the other side, we often want to help people to not experience the things that we have that have been hard for us. But I also really acknowledge the fact that it is in doing a lot of that, that we become the people who know ourselves, Mm. you know, like motherhood is the biggest self-development thing that you can ever do. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I actually think that sometimes having it was, it's the accumulation of all of these tricky experiences that is teaching us this, Mm. what we do and we don't value. The perfect mother myth just gives us an idea of like, oh, these are the societal expectations. And then we can look through and be like, oh, okay, well, that's definitely a society thing. And that's something that I actually do value. And like you said, sometimes those things match up. And people might be like, oh, you know, oh, you're into the fancy food. But actually that is a value to you, even though it totally aligns with the perfect motherness. And you might from the outside look like, oh, she's got it together because she's doing organic food. But no, like that's your thing and that's great. So for everybody, it's just really, yeah, acknowledging that. And for me, it's honestly, it's just been a process. I don't feel like there was a specific time that I got to although I feel like very comfortable in where I sit with everything right now but that's just been through literally years of doing these experiences watching what I do with it watching where I go with it what stories I'm telling myself about it what stories other people are telling me about it particularly like relationships is a huge one in postpartum mental health yeah with with partners because you're having such a different experience of the same thing as being parents. So yeah, it's, it's, I think for lots of people, and this is part of the reason why people are so, why it's so uncomfortable because we love things that make sense, that have a clear trajectory, that we know when something, we, we love outcomes and motherhood makes us sit back and be in the process and be constantly reflecting and then keeping on changing what works because it also stops working once it does work. It's so much about like acknowledging the process, kind of surrendering to it and then just getting getting better 
at doing that process over and over and over again until you become less uncomfortable with it, which that's not a fairy tale story and that's not really what people love to hear, but actually it becomes so freeing on the other side of that that it stops feeling so terribly difficult. 100%. I remember when I started turning the mirror around and looking at the things that triggered me as things I needed to work on. And initially that was really painful and really hard and like very confronting. But then once I worked through that and got used to it, I I agree. I found it so liberating. I actually kind of enjoy when I'm triggered, when I notice judgment coming up, I'm hurt by something. I'm like, oh, good. What's in this for me? Like I actually kind of embrace it. Yeah. So I think it's definitely a place you can get to where it doesn't feel painful all the time. It feels, yeah, liberating and freeing to be able to see these as lessons. And I 110% agree with you. For me, mothering has been the biggest personal development thing I've ever done. Business is a very close second as well. But I agree with that. Yeah, they bring up a lot because there's a lot of self-responsibility if you choose to walk that path. And I do think that our kids are sent here to teach us whatever it is that where we're not free. They're there to push on all those buttons that we thought we had down lock, but really they're just like all these triggers that we have and we need to work through and it can be really challenging. But I think if you look at it as like a way to grow and a way to blossom and that they're not sent here to be painful, they're sent here to free us. I truly do think that has helped my mindset anyway. I think motherhood has been such a blessing and it, like you said as well, it's not, you don't like work through these things and then get to a certain point and you're like, oh, sweet, I'm done. I've done the work. I'm feeling great. You know, worked through all these big emotions and now we're good. It's like literally a day-to-day thing. Some days, like I would say I'm a very positive, upbeat sort of person. And last week, oh my gosh, like the mental spirals I was going on because all of a sudden I was sleep deprived, worse than the newborn days. And as I was saying to you before this recording, like my eldest, who's like almost five, like I've been on this journey with him for a while, is all of a sudden, all of a sudden in this like heightened separation anxiety. So it's got me questioning, like leaving him and am I not making him feel secure enough? Am I not connected to him? Why do I have to work? Like there's so much coming up for me just in the last week. And I've been mothering for, I think a long time now. So, you know, like you never have it just like on lock and then you never have to think about it again. It is this always evolving process. So I think that's really important to note that you don't get to a destination and then you're finished and you're done and you know, the work is over, <laughs> which might be scary. And this is why it sounds scary, but it also is great because if we know that, then also self-compassion has to come into this equation. Yes. Like we really have to just be nice to ourselves. It's like what, what we're all doing as mothers is huge. Mm-hmm. And then if we're also taking on all of this in terms of like really jumping in there and making sure that we're doing the work that we need to do to kind of be the best people for it as well, that's huge. And then we have to like really acknowledge we're not going to feel okay all the time because we're actually human. And as women, we also like many of us have, you know, monthly cycles that really do greatly affect our what our mental health does Mm -hmm. in a four-week cycle-ish. 
So that's another thing. And then a, a lot of us just have, so we have other relationships as well as the ones that we have with our kids that we're maintaining. But I think the main thing is if we can just be really nice to ourselves through it all, that's kind of the key. And that is really really, really, really hard to get used to when we're not taught. Like we go to school for, you know, a thousand years, learn everything else apart from how to communicate with other people and how to be nice to ourselves. Yeah. But we know about the wedge-tailed eagles. So, you know, like at least we've got that under our belt. Look, and algebra at some point was in my brain. It is no longer at all. But these are the things and something that I do also really want people to know, like we are not set up by six by society for success in motherhood. So if you feel like, gosh, this is hard and I feel like I don't have the information, I don't even know how to process all this information, I don't know how to communicate with my partner anymore or I don't know, I literally don't know how to have time for myself without feeling guilty or just be kind to myself about things. Like that's because we were never taught any of this. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I think it's so cool to think about whether next generation, where where their parenting journey takes them because I think they, they're growing up with women and men who are like, you know, able to like be freer and like self-aware mm-hmm. and have more freedoms to not just have to put food on the table and we can aim for more than that and we can dispel these like martyrdom stories that we may have had in the previous generation. So I, I think it's really cool to see where our children take the way they've grown up versus the generation before. It's so cool to watch all these this evolution of parenting and relationships and awareness of self. And yeah, I think that's really cool. So I'd love to talk to you, Gemma, about postpartum tips for these women. Let's speak to the pregnant woman right now who maybe hasn't had a baby yet, so is not quite sure what to expect coming up to it. You know, maybe they've heard about matrescence, maybe they haven't, but I know that you've got some really helpful, practical pearls of wisdom to share with women about what they can put in place now to prepare themselves for this postpartum transition, which we've just spoken about, can be really rough and challenging, even for those who have it very smooth. And that's another thing to probably consider is that even when your baby is healthy and well and you're, you know, like it's still challenging and that's okay to feel like that's challenging. You don't need to add that extra layer of guilt because next door has it worse than you. It's challenging anyway. So what tips do you have for these women to bolster support for themselves? I think one thing that sounds really random, but just is women who are pregnant prioritizing it and going with it, even if it feels strange, our society doesn't really tell us that this is important. We do know that we have to get all the things for the baby and we're often really excited, understandably, about, you know, like doing the nursery and doing all these things. Like I still have my mood boards from when I from when I was doing all of that and I loved it. But on the flip side, I see, see so many people in early postpartum like, why did I not know all of this? Like, I wish I had known all of this Mm. is the theme that comes up all of the time. So from my perspective, if I was to tell a pregnant woman anything, it's to like really go there with planning for postpartum. Mm -hmm. Nobody has ever been upset about over planning in that sense. So if you happen to over plan and you do actually feel great, then that's that's the best case scenario. If you happen to go through it and then have really needed to, which is probably most people, then that's great. And there are people such as myself. So if 
you know, if people kind of want to like know. One of the things that I need to think about, I have a little, as I call it, a postpartum like eco map, but it basically goes through things that the birthing person might be thinking of, things that the partner or support people might be thinking of all the things you need to think of around your birth support, around what postpartum support looks like. So these things are baby items, but also like things you can outsource, the paperwork stuff that needs to happen, meal prep, courses that you might want to do based on your values and things like that, what support is in place, like actually probably talking to your hospital maybe if that's where you're birthing about what support they have after. So it's actually just, it's actually the process again of sitting down with somebody and working through all of these things. Yeah. Who knows the right questions to ask you so that you can think about them. I have a really good friend in this space as well whose name is Catherine and she has a business. Her Instagram is Mother Up, so I'll send you the details. She has a really good postpartum canvas, she calls it, that you can download for free and it has quite a lot of these prompts in it. Um, I'm going to probably try and make my EcoMap uh, more available too soon. But really, it's finding these types of resources to just get an idea of the things that you can think about. Because much like everything else in motherhood, there is no one right answer. Mm. And some of this stuff is totally going to be irrelevant to some people and then really important to other people. Something that always comes up in these when I was doing these with couples is like, I would ask them, what are your thoughts on like thumb sucking versus dummies, right? And people are thinking like, you know, why are you asking me this? We're just pregnant and who cares? Yeah. But actually then they would find like, oh no, our baby will never have a dummy. And then the other one's going, what? Hang on. No, they definitely will if we need it. Yeah. And then great. Let's have these conversations that come with all the stories that we know about set what settling a baby should look like. Let's have those while we're still pregnant so that when you have to make that choice in a really intense time in the first week of your baby's life, you're not also having that conversation with your partner about it, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I remember when my, my first son was six weeks, oh, maybe just before six weeks, and it's funny you say that story because he was crying, <laughs> we were in the bedroom trying to settle him, and I was going backwards and forwards about I had a dummy. I think my mum might have given me one as like a backup, but I was like, well, dummy shmummy, like don't need that. Yeah. I was like so torn up about it. I was like, I don't want to give this to him. Like what if he never feeds on the breast again? And anyway, I gave him a dummy. It was fine. And it's just interesting, the stories that were like playing out and trying to have that dialogue between myself and then with my husband while your baby is screaming and trying to decide what do I think about this topic it was pretty full on and it seems so silly in hindsight but at the time I remember it feeling like a really big deal not knowing how I felt yep. about this situation so yeah it is a really valid point that you make yep and the strangest thing is it's often like that whole thing is not necessarily about the dummy at all it is about everybody's stories of what this should look like Correct. And all the reasons behind that. And unless we have those type of conversations beforehand, we just don't know how we feel about things. And like you said, it's super overwhelming to do anything with a screaming baby, but to have those sort of thoughts. And there's also so many other like practical things. If we talked about that earlier, that you can try if you sit with it and you go, okay, no, my values are saying I, I really definitely don't want to do it. Okay, what are your strategies for dealing for keeping your nervous system okay while there is a baby screaming? Mm. 
Do you put earplugs in? Do you listen to music? Do you have a support person who can hold that baby? What are all of the other things we're going to do if you are absolutely sure that a dummy is not going to be for you? Mm. And then we will have talked about all of that. And then when it happens, you can kind of go with it rather than having all of this stuff. And that is like, yeah, one tiny example of the things that can come up when we talk through all of the things that people can prepare for, I guess. Yeah, definitely. So I'm curious to know from a preparation point of view, obviously it was a bit of a whirlwind with your first baby. What did you do to prepare yourself for baby number two? Given that you knew what you knew now, what did you do differently to make sure that you had bolstered as much postpartum support as possible? Yeah. So this is kind of an interesting story. With my first, I actually had made like this huge document of all the things that I found helpful. And I was sending this to friends because I was like, mate, you just do not want to have to think about the amount of things that I just thought about. So I was already kind of like in this space, just like helping people and everyone called it like the Bible. And then my friends were telling each other, get Gemma's Bible. It's got everything. But my second was conceived in November, 2019. So I did not know that I was about to have a baby in COVID uh, and that really changed a lot for me in terms of what I could or couldn't do. Mm. So I did change care providers like I talked about before. I found that I really valued knowing that someone would be at my birth. So previously I'd gone with an OB who there was a chance that she may not be there because she was in a group practice. She wasn't there on the day. And yeah, I just realized that even with dual support, that didn't really work for me. Yeah. I had found this other gynecologist through other random things that happened after my first birth, who I just really liked her rapport and she became my OB the second time. So that was something that I actively changed and that I was really happy. In terms of postpartum support, I didn't have much because it was born in August, 2020. So we were in... I don't think it was a full lockdown, but it was kind of like a light lockdown situation. Mm -hmm. It was like when I think like the girls from Melbourne had just flown back into Brisbane and everything was going to shut down. What COVID meant for me was that my partner was home and he previously of my first had been not there. Like he was there for like a week or so and then he was working 12 hour days. So actually... COVID in and of itself really changed things for us. Mm -hmm. It was so much easier having him being able to work from home. And I know this is the case for a lot of women now. The fact that if you have a partner who can be there, um, that has just changed everything. Mm -hmm. And also my mum traveled for work a lot before COVID. So she would be intermittently available where she was fully available for my second postpartum. So it was, I didn't have to think a lot about setting up more support for myself because it had, the world had done that for me. But I do think it's really important to um, think through what worked. And I definitely, uh, we did things differently. Like we did order, you know, more food and just made things easier on ourselves rather than like really trying to not have to do it. Mm. But that was also something that birthing women can be thinking all of these things about what works but it also has to be what works for your family so my partner is um, also a very independent a-type person and he was always like nah we're 
cook still doing meal prep we're still doing all these things and then the second child like fully broke the a type of him as well and now we're actually really good at leaning into the moments where we're like no we're just going to make this easy for ourselves one thing I shared recently was that during that time I took my eldest child like out of swimming Mm -hmm. obviously it was because it was shut down but also importantly I didn't do things with him I didn't do anything that would have tipped me over the edge in terms of just like my capacity Mm -hmm. and I know people often feel like a real pressure to like no I can still take everyone to swimming in my postpartum I can still do all of these things and I just acknowledge the fact that it wasn't going to be healthy for me to try and do everything Mm. and then I didn't and it was awesome I think that's so powerful because I do think a lot of women would have guilt around oh but I'm not providing for my eldest you know for x y and z like they need that but at the end of the day and this comes down to like food and activities and everything you're giving them what they truly remember is whether you're present and whether you're connected and whether you are lit up yourself. And so if them going to swimming ticks the box of sw- ticks the box of swimming, but you're overwhelmed and you're anxious and you're crying and you're grumpy and whatever it is, then that's not going to be a great experience for them. Whereas if you pulling back from everything and having eggs on toast for dinner every night, but it means that you are with them and able to like really like be with them, that's what they're going to remember. And so I think the guilt can be easily kind of thwarted to the side when you think about what kids actually need. And it's not, it's not all the external things that we think it's the, it's the really simple presence and connection moments with, with you. That's all they need. It's so simple what they need. But I think sometimes we can really beat ourselves up for not being able to provide more than that. But really at the end of the day, that's what they need. So I think that's a really good example of that is that don't worry about it, mums. Like you you can strip everything away if that's what you need to because they don't need much. They really just need you. And if you can look after you first and foremost, that's the best thing for them. Yeah, and it's also like the best thing for us. Like it actually isn't even about bolstering our ability to give back. It's just if they see us being okay and actually even if they see us not being okay and see the way that we deal with it that's really important and that is more important than anything else kids like will no matter what we do with them have really hard times in their life as they grow up and if we've modeled what we do including what we do when we do get angry when we aren't present when we do something we're not proud of if they watch us do that they watch us not beat up ourselves up for it. They watch us like apologize to them when we should. And they watch us also not revolve completely around them. We are giving them permission to do all of those things in their life. And that's like amazing and super freeing for them to know that like they actually don't have to be perfect. They don't have to be the perfect givers and they can and that, you know, we like really respect them in terms of doing that repair piece. Mm-hmm. You know, even the other day I did something where I was super grumpy because we were like just got back from a holiday. You know, when you're doing like seven loads of washing and somebody's screaming at you for something and you're just like, I was just super grumpy. And yeah, my son was like, you know, seemed really sad about it. And then later I was like, yeah, mate, I'm sorry. I was like really grumpy. And that's not how I want to act. I was feeling frustrated about such and such. And he, 
knows the terminology now and he, he says, Mom, I'm just feeling really frustrated because one, two, three, and he lists the reasons. Like, this is why I'm feeling frustrated because that's what I do. Yep. And I'm like, mate, he's already like more emotionally intelligent than heaps of adults. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I agree. The repair is so important. It's really good modeling to show them all sides of you and that it's all okay. You don't have to be the perfect mother, <laughs> circling back to what we said before, because it's actually really important that they see you process all of the messy human emotions because they're going to have them. They're not going to be happy all the time. We know that to be very true. And just letting them feel it all, but showing them that you feel it all too. Yeah, it's so important, right? I love it. Oh, thank you so much, Gemma. Is there anything you want to mention or summarize or, you know, make note of before we wrap up today's chat all about bolstering and transitioning and getting support in that postpartum period? Yeah, I have a few things that I kind of wanted to make sure that people had in their mind. So we talked a bit about the concept of matrescence and we obviously haven't got a huge amount of time to go through it, but basically that it's the adolescence for motherhood if people want a little glimpse into it and there are heaps of good resources so I might send some through especially Amy Taylor Cabaz's book yeah I've heard about Um, that and I'll also link in the show notes I've done a podcast series on matrescence with Nikki McCann yeah so that was an earlier series guys so I will link that but uh, it's a great series and it actually got a lot of really good feedback women felt really validated knowing what this term was and how it's super normal to have identity changes everything in your life gets flipped upside down and it's about recalibrating. So yeah, definitely scroll back through the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast and you'll find them. But I'll also link that and Amy's book as well. Yeah. Yep. And then in terms of support, I know we talked a little bit about the things that people can think of when they're doing their bolstering their kind of support networks. But another thing is just that we need to be thinking about like physical, emotional and like mental health recovery in all of these places so there are people like postpartum doulas or other people that you can sort out to you know help you make sure that you're looking after yourself in all those different areas in postpartum but that's something that yeah you would talk through using one of those canvases that I discussed but yeah really important to just make sure that you have those people or networks or resources there also I think we did talk a little bit about this but just the fact that being able to just feel your feelings is important because if we are trying not to or if we're thinking that we shouldn't be feeling them, then we can't actually work with them. So I think we did talk a fair bit about that today. And one thing that we didn't necessarily discuss and that is really important in the mental health space is just the importance of connection in this time. So connecting with like other parents or just having social connections, it's actually the uh, most important thing for maternal mental health and mental health in general it's the most protective factor Mm. for maternal mental health so if you're doing literally if you don't do anything else from this episode other than make sure that you've got good social support Mm -hmm. and that you're not going to be super isolated in your postpartum that will be 
that will be the best thing that you can do. Mm, absolutely. I think feel your feelings, ladies, and make sure that you don't isolate. Make sure that you connect with people 100%. Thank you so much, Gemma. This has been wonderful. I know women are going to get so much out of this, whether you're pregnant right now and preparing yourself for postpartum, which I think is amazing if you can get on the front foot. But even if you're in the thick of those postpartum feelings right now, I think this is really optimistic, very positive and really tangible things that women can start to implement to make sure that they look after themselves and journey through this matrescence period, hopefully relatively unscathed. So thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. No worries. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, mamas, I really hope that you love that episode. And if you are pregnant right now, you are feeling like, yes, I have got this. I know how to prepare myself for the postpartum period. I've got a step one, two, three of what I'm going to organize to get myself through. I know for me, having a meal train organized for the postpartum period was an enormous weight off my shoulders. The mental load was just reduced dramatically by knowing I didn't have to worry about cooking, which was amazing. Also factoring in my husband having time off work was a huge part of it. So he works for himself, but me having sat him down and actually said, I need you completely off for two weeks. So that was really clear because I wanted to do as much horizontal rest as possible for those first two weeks. It was really clear that I had two weeks of just lying down, not having to do anything. That was really important. So I would love to hear from you over at Physio Laura. Let me know what your biggest takeaways were from this episode. Let me know what you are either planning or have done in the past to bolster good postnatal support. And I really hope as well that whoever's listening to this today is also working through their own version of busting the perfect mother myth because... I really think comparisonitis just really robs us of joy. And if we are constantly feeling like we're falling short of of whoever this perfect mother may be, you know, we know she doesn't exist, but we're always going to be robbing ourselves of true joy, confidence, happiness in the moment. So we need to bust through whatever it is that we're holding up on a pedestal and really acknowledge ourselves for how good of a job we're doing and letting go of the things that actually don't matter to us. Like I shared in the episode, like I recognized having a tidy house did not have to mean I wasn't disorganized or overwhelmed mother. So just really sitting with what stories am I telling myself about this right now? What am I making this mean? I think it's so important for us to have some awareness of that. So if you want to connect with Gemma, you can find her at together.perinatal. She's got some amazing resources and amazing podcasts. So definitely go and check her out and make sure you subscribe to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast because we have two more awesome episodes coming up in this perinatal mental health series. Next week, we are talking to a psychologist all about anger and rage in motherhood and authentic parenting. And then the final episode I jump on and I'm talking all about self-care, filling our own cup up and what that really truly means to me. And it isn't just a bubble bath. (laughs) So do make sure you subscribe so that you can check all of those out. And if you're needing a bit of a booster, a bit of an endorphin kick, please go and check out my program, The Pregnancy Posse. We do weekly pregnancy workouts from as soon as you pee on a stick all the way through to when you give birth. It takes the mental load off having to think about how to stay healthy and strong. And it lets you just work out for 10, 15 minutes a day. That's all you need to give yourself that real boost. So I encourage you to go check that out. Otherwise, mamas, wherever you are today, I hope you're having a wonderful time, that you're being kind to yourself and I will catch you soon. Bye.